Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine podcasts. My name is John Boccasino, being joined as I always am by Jamie D'Amico. We would love to wish you and yours a happy new year, a happy 22. Uh, We hope you had a great safe celebration and you're gearing up for week 17 of this wacky, zany, unpredictable NFL season, the Buffalo Bills. Jamie, as you know, what a gift. What a great late Christmas gift that was. The Bills headed to Foxborough, stomped the Patriots. I know the score was in doubt for a little bit, but then Buffalo pulled away with a 12-point win, 33-21, to and it felt so good to get that measure of revenge, uh, especially for the Wingate game in week 12 when Buffalo lost at home. It felt so good to get that win over the Patriots. That was all I wanted for Christmas. And I have to tell you, I'm usually pretty relaxed during games, pretty zen. I was not. I was a nervous wreck throughout that game. I'm putting body English into every play, sitting on the edge of my seat, kind of pacing back and forth. I wanted that game so badly. Probably more than the players did. I've, <laughs> I've heard that the players don't actually care as much as we do about whether they win or lose. Um, and that may well have been one of those. Although I've got to say the Bills were pretty fired up after that one, weren't they? That was, you know, it was interesting. Um Side note, but my wife and I, when we flew back from Orlando, uh, the airport, uh, we had a late flight back on the 30th, and the airport TV in the bar we were in was replaying the Patriots-Bills game, and it was just as delicious the second time around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give me that second helping. (laughs) (laughs) The Isaiah McKenzie game, part two, and it was just such a fun Uh, Fun victory. The players wanted that so badly. You could tell from the get-go, you know, Josh is up there firing up his offensive lineman. What a great performance by Ryan. Don't call me Rick Bates, uh, which I never (laughs) knew he now wants to be called Rick, apparently, or he doesn't care because he's having the time of his life. So it's grown on him, right? (laughs) And this really, Jamie, you know, it's I, I count me among those people. I was very concerned um, with the game against the Patriots with the offensive line, you know, the yes. state of the offensive line, Deion Dawkins, uh, his status was in doubt uh, up until about a day before the game uh, with a second bout from COVID. He looked marvelous on the field. He did. And I have to say, I my condolences to Ike Butker, who has been a consummate professional, an injured Achilles 
those are sometimes career killers. So I hope that he can recover because the guy has, he's played his heart out. He deserves a spot on the Bills. Uh, he's excellent depth and by all accounts, a generally good guy. And they all feel terrible for the guy uh, being out with that injury. But the other thing is we have to keep a couple things from that game in context. The offensive line looked great. However, the Patriots did the Bills a huge disservice in that they were using their defensive line, their pass rushers, for contain, to keep Josh Allen in the pocket. They weren't testing the Bills' offensive line. They weren't, they weren't blitzing. They weren't running a lot of stunts. It was basically, don't let Josh Allen escape to his right. That was their entire game plan. So you didn't see the Patriots' defenders you know, pinning their ears back, growing fangs, and just going after the quarterback the way they have in the past. So pump the brakes, Bills Mafia. The line was not as good as they appeared. And despite the fact that the Patriots were not going after the quarterback, the Bills still gave up pressures on 40% of the dropbacks. Pump the brakes. This is a role reversal because I'm normally, uh, you know, trying to wow you a little bit with uh, with some stats and facts and figures. You just uh, you you put a damper on my New Year a little bit with uh, with those sobering. And it, it, it's true, um, you know. We, I guess my my point of the offensive line was. Given that there was a time we were, I was thinking they were going to have, you know, Bobby Hart have to start. Uh, if Deion Dawkins didn't start and Spencer Brown, you know, would be shift to a brand new position. You know, the makeshift five that the Bills had in their offensive line, I, I still think they they performed admirably well. Um, the forty percent pressures is alarming. Although the Patriots are really good at getting after the quarterback, even though they were sitting back in coverage, I would have loved to see more productivity out of the run game. I believe, you know, Singletary did great overall. I thought he was a really effective weapon out of the backfield. Um, I think he only ran for 3.3 or 3.4 yards per carry. Josh Allen led the day with what, 12 carries for 65 yards. But so be it. You know, that that's the combination this Bills team is going to have to uh, win with moving forward because you're not going to have Ike Bucker. He's on the IR uh, season ending with that Achilles tear that you mentioned. Um, they're going to have to make do with this motley cast of characters. And I feel like Ryan Bates might have finally been like the the, the, the adhesive that this unit needed. He's not a star player. I've never said Ryan Bates is a star player, but he's better than almost anything else the Bills had in reserve, and they were holding on to him in case anything happened to Mitch Morse, which is a valid concern. But at some point when your line is so depleted, you got to trot out the best five, and it's clear at this point that Bates is one of their best five linemen. It appears so. I will be interested to see what happens when John Feliciano is fully recovered from all of his ailments and illnesses. Oh, you know, what are they going to do? Because the the coaching staff is very loyal to their veterans, but at the same time, when it comes to the offensive line, they tend to go with what works. I mean, last season we saw Mitch Morris basically benched for two games. So do are they gonna ride the hot hand? We will find out. And their opportunity to find out their very first one comes up on Sunday. All of the games are Sunday, except for one Monday night game, the Steelers and the Browns here in week 17, not the final week of the regular season. We have the extra game added to the slate this year, but the, you know, and, and Josh Allen, thanks to his complete performance, you know, 
314 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, no interceptions. Isaiah McKenzie, 11 catches for a buck 25 and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs had seven for 85 and a touchdown. You know, this, this offense was really clicking and Josh had a clean pocket to do whatever the hell he wanted to do. And that's another kudos I want to give towards the offensive line. But as we all know, it's not breaking news, but because the Bills won in New England, they now control their own destiny when it comes to making the playoffs and winning the AFC East, which will guarantee a home playoff game as either the three or the four seed. I don't think the Bills can catch up to number two. It's most likely going to be the the three or the four uh, based on what happens with uh, Cincinnati, uh, who has a very tough uh, path to the playoffs with Kansas City, and I believe they have Cleveland um, to close out the year, but the Bills still have to take care of their business. They still need to win these final two home games. And somehow, some way, Jamie, the Atlanta Falcons are somehow eligible for the postseason. They're barely hanging on. I think they have like a 1.4% chance of, of making the playoffs. But this is not a good Falcons team that the Bills are going to be playing at home on Sunday. Are you worried in any way, shape, or form about some sort of emotional letdown following such a huge road win. The the Atlanta Falcons are 7 and 8. And if you look at the statistics behind the Atlanta Falcons, nothing says in in the numbers that they should have won 7 games at this point in the season. So, they must be doing something with smoke and mirrors. But you always worry about the letdown after such a big win that the Bills had. Going in their favor, though, the Bills are coming back home. Is that correct? It's a home game, right? Yeah, a home home for the final two. Got the Falcons on Sunday, and then the New York Jets on January 9th is the final game of the regular season. One of the reasons, Jamie, I feel like the Atlanta Falcons, when I said smoke and mirrors, I mean, they're not a good team. Their wins, let me read off the teams that the Falcons have beaten during the regular season. And you tell me what you notice as a trend, okay? Okay. New York Giants. New York Jets. Miami Dolphins, but this is before Halloween. The New Orleans Saints. Jacksonville, Carolina, and Detroit. Losing records. Losing records. Against any team that is 500 or better, the Atlanta Falcons have been outscored by 145 points this year. Unbelievable. I mean, when they lose, they lose big. <laughs> they they do. They're, I'm looking at their, their rundown here. The, they only have two losses. They were both early in the season that were by less than a touchdown. Everything else. They lost to the Cowboys 43-3. to Ugh. They lost to the Patriots 25 to nothing on that Thursday night debacle. They lost to the Bucks 30-17 to in a game that was not that close. And the Niners blew their doors out 31 to 13. So when these Falcons lose and over their last four losses, they're suffering defeats by 24 points or more. I think this is a perfect recipe for Buffalo, even with some injuries. You know, Emmanuel Sanders is questionable Ed Oliver is questionable. I don't think the Bills need to be at full strength to whip up on these Falcons by at least double digits. I don't think so. And the reason why is what the Bills do best past the ball is where the Atlanta Falcons are the weakest. Now, I was reading in The Athletic 
And for anybody out there who's not subscribed to The Athletic, I'm telling you, you got to do it. Joe Biscalia just has the best coverage of the Bills. Um, there's some, and we do have some great writers, but I digress. Um, I was looking through an article and they were talking about expected points added, which is an efficiency statistic. And the Atlanta Falcons are 26th in the NFL in EPA against the pass. The Bills, we know, helmed by Josh Allen, pass the ball really well. We are probably looking at an easy 300-yard passing game for Josh Allen. If Josh Allen doesn't eclipse 300 yards, it means the Bills had a defensive touchdown and a special teams touchdown, and they've brought in Mitchell Trubisky to to wrap up this one. I mean, I don't want to sound overconfident, but I think the Falcons are probably one of the worst seven-win teams in the history of the National Football League. I mean, you really don't know, outside of Cordell Patterson, I don't know how the Falcons are scoring points, you know? I mean, they're they're giving up points in droves in the secondary. Uh, Matt Ryan is still good, but not great. He's missing Calvin Ridley. Kyle Pitts is going to be a matchup nightmare for the Bills. That's the one spot that I worry about. But I'm not concerned at all about the Falcons on offense. Are you have any concerns, Jamie, with what Atlanta brings to the table? I'm not terribly concerned, but I think we need to give respect where it's due, which is Kyle Pitts is unbelievable. And as a rookie is coming close to setting the all-time rookie record for tight end yards in a season. Well, becoming number two in that. He's not probably not going to pass Mike Ditka's record. But we are looking at a guy who's probably going to be an all-time great tight end with the amount of physical talent that he has. The Bills are very good at covering tight ends this season. So I'm not terribly concerned about it, but he is a game changer out there. And I, I want Bills fans to pay attention because, you know, here's a player that we're not going to see play against the Bills for another four years, most likely. So pay attention, guys, because this guy is going to do some serious damage in the league. And, you know, when it comes to tight end receiving prowess, you can't forget about our old friend, Lee Smith, who's currently a backup tight end there in Atlanta. I mean, that guy, you got to look out for him when he's got the ball in his hands, don't you? You know, he's either going to be a part of a, uh, a makeshift heavy personnel set when they're bringing in a sixth offensive lineman type guy you know, to run the ball with Patterson. But I do want to say that, yeah, Kyle Pitts has been phenomenal. His numbers so far, he could eclipse 1,000 yards in a season. He needs 51 yards against the Bills on Sunday, 64 grabs for 949 yards, only one touchdown. He's not being used very effectively in the red zone, which is surprising given the fact that he is six foot six and 250 pounds and just a freak of an athlete on the field. He, uh, he he's had a phenomenal rookie season and him and Matt Ryan have really established, you know, quite the rapport out there. But I, I don't know, Jamie, I, this is one of those games where, you know, there, it, you, you go up and down the, the, the personnel and where a team. Oh, and by the way, before I, I before we get to our breakdowns, I want to say something about the, the Falcons as we're talking about them here on, on Billy of a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. Much has been made about Buffalo being 0-5 in one score games. And the Falcons are 7-2 and 
in one score games this year. But do you really know why they're seven and two in one score games? Yes, I'm going to narrow that down to luck. Sometimes the ball bounces your way. Sometimes it doesn't. Somewhere between seven and two and zero and five is the right answer. Okay, that's a very good answer, and I will accept it. But there's another reason why the Falcons are seven and two in one and one score games. They turn the ball over at an alarming rate late in games. They have I don't know how many turnovers they have. Okay, here it is. So in the Detroit Lions game, they won twenty to sixteen. But Detroit had a chance. They drove down to the Atlanta one-yard line with 33 seconds left. And then there was an interception that the Falcons came away with to rob Tim Boyle of a comeback win, which if you had known that Tim Boyle was the Lions quarterback before this podcast started, you're probably gambling a bit too much on NFL football games because... I did not know. Nobody should know Tim Boyle. (laughs) Not even Tim Boyle's mom and dad uh, know who Tim Boyle is, right? Oh... Sorry, Tim Boyle. I know you're listening to the podcast out there, too, but it's crazy. The Falcons turn the ball over methodically well when it comes to the game. In this possession, they had a fumble with 218 to go. They always... Meaning they get turnovers? No, they give the ball away. So They give it away. Yes, they they have a penchant for turning the ball over in the last five minutes of a game that could... And my whole point to this rambling Tim Boyle, you know... A conversation about their turnovers is the Falcons should be winning their games by more, but they're shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly with turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. So even when they could have a chance to win a game by 10 or 11 points, they fumble, they throw a pick, something happens and the opposition is able to stay within that one score game. So the bills take care of the ball on Sunday, Jamie, this, this again should be a really nice formula for Buffalo to get to that 10th win of the year. I should think so. And also they have some, some injury issues for, for sure. You know, they're, they're really getting into their depth on offense uh, at the wide receiver position. Cordell Patterson, he's been really good as a running back this year, dynamic. And he's the type of guy that's going to try to get to the edge because he's got great speed. So, you know, that's going to be something that the Bills are going to have to look at. But on the other side of the football, they are missing their free safety. One of their uh, starting cornerbacks, Fabian Moreau, is doubtful for the game. A.J. Terrell is one of their corners. He's good. He's very underrated. Uh, but outside of that, you look up and down their roster, and it's not a whole lot of household names. They've got Grady Jarrett, uh, a very underrated player, Deion Jones, at linebacker. They do a really good job of keeping blockers uh, off of him, and he goes sideline to sideline really quickly. So, you know, keep an eye out for Deion Jones during the game, but it just, this does not look like a team that has the talent to be able to run with the Buffalo Bills Although the last time I was really confident about the Bills win, I went to Florida and watched them lose to Jacksonville. So what the hell do you're, I know? You're not planning on going to this game in Buffalo on Sunday, right? No, if I was, you you would know it. 
I, I, I would be hanging out with you, buddy. Well, appreciate that. We always have a good time at our tailgates, and they're calling for some snow potentially in the forecast for uh, for Sunday's game at Highmark Stadium. I, I'm with you, Jamie. I you know there's there's not a lot that Atlanta does well. We covered Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is fantastic. He's having such a phenomenal season. But like you said, the Bills do a great job against their tight ends in coverage. So I think Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano and company are going to do a really good job of slowing down Kyle Pitts because it's not like Atlanta can turn and throw the ball to Julio Jones from the past decade plus or even Calvin Ridley, who is a phenomenal threat himself. Matt Ryan has Kyle Pitts and Corderell Patterson as his main weapons. And Patterson, again, has been a phenomenal revelation this year. I mean, he was a out with the Vikings. Uh, He really did not accomplish much. Uh, there, the Bears had him for a while. They used him primarily on special teams, and he still is pretty dangerous in the run, uh, punt return, and kick return categories. But that's where new, that's where the Falcons' bread and butter is of this offense. It's Pitts and Patterson, and the Bills are going to be fired up and motivated in front of their home crowd. It's not going to be one of those letdown games. I don't see the Bills having any sort of letdown. I think the defense is going to be geared up, even with Ed Oliver sidelined. If he is sidelined, he's still questionable for the game. I feel like the Bills defense matches up extremely well uh, with this Atlanta Falcons offense. So I think it's going to be hard for the Falcons to put points uh, on Buffalo's defense. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we talked offensively about Josh Allen. Boy, ah. Here, here's my question for you, Jamie. We mentioned 300 yards passing for Josh. He's going to surpass that. We feel very confident in that number. What do you think we see as an encore from Isaiah McKenzie? Because, you know, Cole Beasley is now back from the COVID-19 list. The league shortened their quarantine period from 10 days to five days, as long as players pass uh, some stages along the way, including uh, having a, a a negative COVID test and no no lingering symptoms. Um, so and and having a conferral from a team doctor. So it's easier for players who are on COVID lists to come back and be active. So Cole is one of the key guys who is back on this active roster along with John Feliciano and AJ Epinesa. What do you see uh, Isaiah McKenzie's role being in this team now that the wide receiver room is a little more crowded again with Gabe Davis back there too? I don't think you're going to see an awful lot of Isaiah McKenzie in this game. And I'll tell you why. It's because what Isaiah McKenzie does and what Cole Beasley does are very different from each other. They're not interchangeable players, even though Isaiah McKenzie plays in the slot. What made Isaiah McKenzie so effective against the Patriots is they matched him up man-to-man against a guy who couldn't run with him. That was what it was. So they started doing a bunch of crossing routes, knowing that, you know, if 
if McKenzie's running 30 yards across the field, eventually he's going to break away from this guy. That's not what the Bills use Cole Beasley for. Cole Beasley's bread and butter is going up against a zone defense and getting open that way. These Atlanta Falcons, especially with injuries in their secondary, are more likely to play zone in order to keep the game in front of them, prevent the big plays from happening. That's going to pretty much take Isaiah McKenzie off the field in favor of the guy who handles the zone better, which is Cole Beasley. So you may get, you may see more snaps than on a typical week for McKenzie, but he's not going to be eating into Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley's playing time. Yeah, you're right. They are they are two different types of weapons. They are two different types of receivers. I, I I'm hoping and assuming that you're referencing the great article uh, put out there on Buffalo Rumblings by Bruce Exclusive, uh, talking about comparing McKenzie to Cole Beasley and how it's really not an apt, not a fair comparison in any way, shape, or form for these receivers. I mean, you just look at like the flow chart, the pass charts of how McKenzie gets open and what he does versus what Beasley does. And Beasley's way more open when it comes to those little stutter steps, those quick hook curl passes, those really quick uh, outbreaking routes. Whereas McKenzie, yeah, it's all he's he's a, a very poor man's Tyreek Hill uh, in his role where he's going to outlast and find ways to get open against the secondary, whereas Cole is getting open pretty quickly. I couldn't remember where I read about that, but you're right. That was Bruce Nolan's article on Buffalo Rumblings that uh, that gave me that that breakdown and knowledge that uh, that I was just spitting at you. Uh, great article, by the way, because I didn't understand. I well, okay, I don't understand the game of football anywhere near as well as Bruce does. So. I, I'm loving when he's dropping knowledge bombs. Like and it, it is. It's a very good article. They they bring in the the past, the route charts, if you will, for a couple of games to show. And, and one of them was when Cole had seven catches for 88 yards against the Titans. Another one was the Halloween game against the Dolphins. Go check it out. It'll really you'll be smarter. You'll have learned something, which is sometimes our goal here on uh, on Believe a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. Now, Jamie, we're breaking down the Bills and the Falcons on Sunday at Highmark Stadium, and we've given some love to some members of the Falcons' defense, but I think there's one guy that we haven't talked about who is going to test the Buffalo Bills' offensive line more than they were last week against the New England Patriots, and that's Dante Fowler, who is a very effective pass rusher. He only has four and a half sacks this year, but when he gets to the quarterback, he gets to the quarterback and forces fumbles. Uh, he has three of his four and a half sacks have led to a fumble that the Falcons have recovered. So when he gets home, he's causing some damage with those quick swim moves and the power moves he's putting on offensive linemen. What are your thoughts on how Buffalo and the offensive line matches up against Grady Jarrett, who is a very effective pass rusher, 33 pressures, 10 hits on the quarterback, only one sack, but he's getting there in numbers, and Dante Fowler. How do the Bills uh, do their part to give Josh the same passing lanes that he had against the Patriots? Grady Jarrett is a big man coming in over 300 pounds. Uh, Dante Fowler, he's a couple years removed from having 11 and a half sacks with the Rams. Uh, So what are they going to do? Well, in order to generate pressure, they usually have to blitz him they run a, a three four. I think, I think that I like the matchup of 
Deion Dawkins with uh, with Dante Fowler. Dawkins played a really good game last week, and though Fowler is a, a quick dude, he's only coming in at about 255. So if Dawkins gets his mitts on him, I think that Dawkins can, the majority of the time, win that one-on-one battle. On the other side, you've got a giant player in Grady Jarrett. And, you know, I I think that I like Spencer Brown. As for Ryan Bates, he's going to be on the left-hand side of the line most likely. So I, I think he's just going to focus on the interior pass rushers and we'll see what he can do in a game where the the defensive line is going to be far more active in trying to get after the quarterback. It's going to be a test for him. I, I will be interested to see how he uh, how he stands up to this. I think you're going to see Ryan Bates stay in the starting lineup. I think he's really uh, going to be something of a quite effective uh, playmaker at the guard spot, given how well he played last week and given how well he only gave up one pressure um, during a ton of the snaps that he took when the bills were in obvious passing situations. I think he really put himself in a good position. Uh, His footwork was impressive. Um, The way that he was out there conducting himself, Ryan Bates has not played meaningful NFL snaps for the Bills in a couple of years. He's been primarily that swing man backup to center Mitch Morris. I think John Feliciano is going to be very quietly eased into some reps, but he's not going to start, I don't think, on Sunday. I think Bates is your man. I think it's a really good thing, the poise that Bates has shown on the offensive line, especially now with another hole to fill with Butker being down for the year. I think this is a good example for Ryan Bates to show what he can do. He's played well. He's played with poise and facing a pretty you know, potent defensive line. I think he's going to be the one who's going to get the call to stay in the offensive line as a starter. It's going to be interesting. Like I said earlier, I, I don't know which direction they're going to go because they like to stick with the old familiar faces like Feliciano, but I'm not, I've never been impressed by Feliciano. He's average. Can Bates be at least average? I I think based on last week's performance, we we saw that he might even be better than average. And then that raises the question: Why did it take until now for them to figure that out? Yeah, that's a remember, Jamie. Not to you know toot my own horn, I do have the receipts to prove it. But back in training camp, I was all over Ryan Bates, saying he was somebody who to look out for. He'd be a solid contributor on the offensive line, someone who would play key snaps and be a a key uh, player for this unit. And it's great to finally see the Bills brass going through the archives and picking up the knowledge that Ryan Bates can play because he really has had um, not a lot of opportunities to step up for this offensive line. It was great to see what he did and put on paper last week against the Patriots. And now he gets a chance to go back to back with the Atlanta Falcons Uh, especially knowing Jamie that like, I don't know, the bills are going to chuck the ball all over the yard on Sunday, even in the snow, even hell, if they're going to throw the ball 35 times in the win game against the Patriots, there's no reason they're going to modify, you know, their strategy against the Falcons, which is kind of a shame because the Falcons are not good stopping the run. They are 31st in the league in run defense. And I feel like if the Bills did commit, you're probably going to see Josh Allen lead the way with rushing yards on this team. But the Falcons can definitely be had. Yeah, you're right. You usually do see Josh as the number one running option. But this is definitely a game where the Bills can run on the Falcons if they want to. I I think that 
they should want to and they need to. The Bills have got to keep working on on the running game, figure out something that's going to work. And maybe part of it is just gaining confidence, but they have to do it. You know, go gain your confidence against a team like that. Go into the playoffs ready to throw down with the much better teams than they're going to be facing in the next two weeks. But, you know, walk in with an attitude. Confidence is everything in sports. When you feel good about yourself, you perform better. I mean, look. Really, confidence is everything in life, isn't it? <laughs> it absolutely is. I mean, if you believe you can do it, you, you're halfway there. Right. You know? So here we are, and I, I'd love for the Bills to prove that to themselves. And Devin Singletary, while he has not been a world beater, he seems to get some tough yards when it's most needed, and usually that's in the second half of games. And especially, yeah, when the Bills are trying to run down that clock, I would much rather have Devin Singletary back there than Zach Moss, who is clearly proving to be um, a disappointment. Uh, I'll call it like I see it when it comes to the running back position uh, drafted out of Utah as a really phenomenal threat. He has underwhelmed, to say the least. He clearly I can't believe he didn't score that touchdown against the Patriots last weekend. I mean, you literally could have just like fallen into the end zone and you would have had a score and he tripped over his own feet and alignment and gravity and came up just short. And I think with him, there's he's missing a lot of confidence. It all comes back to confidence. If you think you can do it again, you've got a big step towards accomplishing your goal. And the Bills have massive goals this year, Jamie. I mean, the first step to making the Super Bowl is you got to make the playoffs and it helps a lot to have home playoff games in January Um, This game is going to be very typical of what playoff football weather could be like uh, for the Buffalo Bills if they're hosting uh, games in January. I'm punching up on my phone to make sure it's the most accurate weather prediction for Sunday's game. Oh, it's gotten worse. 31 degrees, one to three inches of snow expected, chance of snow 80%. Winds at ten to twenty miles an hour. Yeah, that sounds like uh, that sounds like they're going to be keeping the ball on the ground a little bit. That might change your prediction a little bit, but the the Bills are still going to throw the ball. I mean, let's be real. I mean, they they threw the ball in that wind game against the Patriots, so yeah, they're they're going to put it up at least thirty five times. So, with the Bills throwing the ball at least thirty five times. With the Falcons being down some key members of their secondary and all around not being very good uh, when it comes to their pass uh, defense coverage, the Bills have a massive advantage, it seems like, all over the place. The Falcons, the one place they're good is forcing turnovers. Mm -hmm. While they give them up, they do also create them as well. They have a turnover forced in at least 11 straight games, uh, which is the longest current streak in the National Football League. What are you thinking is going to transpire at Highmark Stadium? Are the Bills going to comfortably win this one, or are they going to have to, you know, maybe maybe they jump out to a big lead and hold on and win by 10? What are you thinking? I think what they're going to do is come out a little bit slowly, and in the second half, they're going to get their asses in gear. Uh, I, I think that they're going to come out slowly because there is going to be a little bit of a hangover, and after the... Falcons punch them in the mouth a little bit early in the game. They're going to they're going to wake up and start raining points late in the game. I think that you're going to see the Bills put up a minimum of 24 second half points. So that's going to get me to a score of oh, I think we're gonna 
I think we're going to end up being like 33 to 20. 33 20 bills win by two touchdowns. I, I like it before I give you my prediction, Jamie, I'm going to give you a really fun fact about myself and my season ticket credentials. Oh, okay. I've had season tickets. Now this is my 15th year with season tickets. Do you know the only team I've never seen the bills play at home? Hmm. I don't the Atlanta Falcons. How about that? Because the last time that the Bills had a game with the Falcons was that Toronto series up in 2013. We did not make the journey up there. Bills lost 34-31 in overtime. Scott Chandler had a a horrible fumble that led to the Falcons getting in position for a game-winning field goal. And the Falcons have not come back to Western New York since. Their greeting to Western New York is going to be rude. I feel the Bills are going to push them around from the opening whistle. I feel like this is one of those games where the 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 bills are not going to have a letdown. I mean, they might start slow on their first drive, but maybe that's due to the weather, figuring out these wind gusts and the snow potential. I see this game having route written all over it. I think the bills are going to have a very healthy margin of victory. The the Falcons might luck their way into a, a touchdown in the first half. I see them really struggling to move the ball against both the wind and this really good bills defense. I'm going to say the Buffalo Bills hang 40 on the Falcons, and they're going to win 40 to 13. Ooh, nice. Oh, by the way, I saw the Falcons play in Buffalo. Did you? Many years ago. Yes. Back in the early 90s, I saw Neon Dion Sanders return one uh, for seven. He started uh, doing his high-stepping at about the 40-yard line. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Bills won that game. Which is also a rarity because the the Buffalo Bills have dropped four of their last five uh, in this series with the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, the Bills did get that huge win in 2017 uh, when Trey White had that scoop fumble return for a touchdown and the Bills uh, won in one of the very first games in the brand new stadium that the Falcons uh, were unveiling in Atlanta. But before that, it's been, I mean, the Bills have not done well against Atlanta. All time, the Falcons lead the series seven to five. So Jamie, your game with Neon Deion Sanders, was that, uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I've got some box scores here I'm going through. Uh, you were there in 1992? Yep. That sounds about right. I couldn't remember what year, but yeah, yeah, that that seems like the one. Well, it's great because uh, you know if 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 you're going to see Neon Deion Sanders score a touchdown, it's great for the Bills to put up 28 first quarter points in that game. You had a Carwell Gardner plunge up the middle. Uh, Jim Kelly had touchdown passes to Pete Metzelars and Andre Reed, and then Kenneth Davis took one in from one yard, and the Bills were up 28 nothing. It was 38 nothing late in the second quarter, and then Neon Dion took back that kickoff return for a touchdown. The Bills won that one in a cakewalk. I'm predicting the same type of thing on Sunday. Jamie also expects the Bills to win, but by a little bit less of a margin, only 13 points. Win, lose, or draw. Give us your feedback. What do you think about our predictions? We'd love to get involved with our fans here on the show. Get involved on Twitter. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico, and I am at John Boccasino. We love your feedback here on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. For my colleague, Jamie D'Amico, again, wishing you all a happy, joyous, and prosperous 2022, and go Bills.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. 